While many tend to think crypto has moved beyond Bitcoin, it's time to think again thanks to the concept of ordinals. And if FTX and the like have destroyed your faith in decentralized currency, well, guess what? There really are honest, transparent actors in the system working for a greater good. Today, the two Ds chat with Yu Zhengshuao of Cake Group, a true digital assets innovator, here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to today's episode and joining us to serve up a slice of cake group is using Chuao from Singapore. Welcome, Eugene. Do you want to introduce yourself and perhaps tell us a bit about Cake Group? Sure, happy to. Thank you for having me, Dave and Damesh. My name is Eugene Chua. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Cake Group. I've been about myself. I've been in the space for a really long time, started into Bitcoin and crypto from 2009. How I got started in the first place was because I was really into cybersecurity and really interested in cryptography. And I stumbled upon Bitcoin when it's still in its early day, when Satoshi was still around on one of those forums. And that's kind of a rabbit hole for me to dive deep into <laughs> Bitcoin from the first post that I stumbled upon it, read the white paper, interacted with a couple of people on IRC uh, in that relay chat and talked to a couple of the core devs and check out the code and ran the system on my machine, mined a couple of Bitcoin in the early days and just built uh, a lot of services and businesses around crypto and Bitcoin in general. A couple of those that I built along the way, the first exchange in Asia, built one of the first options markets for cryptos in Singapore. And I was also the architect for the first CBDC in the world in the Bahamas wow. for the Central Bank of the Bahamas. Yeah, it's still operational <laughs> today. Yeah, as far as I know, the first and probably the only one widely used by the retail users in a country. So quite proud of that. I'm not involved anymore, but still very proud of that. Yeah, so been in a space for a long time, started with Bitcoin, building stuff around Bitcoin, and then around 2014, 2015, where I got into Ethereum, starting to build projects and tools, especially tools for Ethereum, because in the early days, I do see a lot of potential for Ethereum, but the tools are quite lacking in the early days. So for me, I'm a big open source advocate and also contributor. So I built tools around Ethereum to help developers to get onto the platform easier and to build stuff around Ethereum much easier. Yeah, eventually I got back into Bitcoin again because I do realize that the potential for Bitcoin is actually kind of huge. So really got interested into DeFi and that's around 2019 where I kind of reconnected with my current co-founder and CEO, Dr. Julian Hoff. So we started Kick Group in 2019 with a goal of simplifying DeFi for retail users and increasing user adoption 
into DeFi for not quite technical users who perhaps wanted to get into DeFi, want to get into more of a free finance, but not having the aptitude or time to understand how blockchain works and how private key works and all of that. Yeah, I hope that's in a nutshell. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's me in a nutshell. I, I can come up on the group as well. Kind of like... <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, I'm very interested because I guess 2019 was quite a precinct move because that was, well, it was before the sort of big wave. So you must have seen tremendous growth as COVID hit and crypto went through the ceiling. But as others have fallen away on the back of what's happened, it sounds like Cape Group is thriving. You've done an interesting thing in terms of taking the business and splitting it into different operating groups. So I just wondered if you could explain a bit about what you've done and why you did it. Cape Group, our mission is to advance blockchain to put it simply, for the betterment of humanity. So we want to make sure that whatever that blockchain can do can benefit humanity in general. And we now operate in four different verticals. It's not intentional to be that way. It's not set up to be that way. It's set up to simplify DeFi. But over time, we've grown into four different verticals. So we have Bake, which is the first product that we have on Cake Group, where we're focusing a lot on retail users, making it easier for them to get into DeFi without having to understand the whole online technology, and yet not taking away the risk or the provability part of that. So everything at Bake, what we do is, if you get a service, it's really laid out clearly what the risks are that you're getting to them. Like staking, for instance, there are some risks of staking. The staking smart contracts having security issue that's not caused by us, but it's caused by the blockchain in general. So all these risks have to be laid out clearly to our users. And also on top of that, the funds are clearly trackable on Bake, so that covers a part from Damesh as well, where we have been publishing the proof of where all our notes are, where the funds are, not only that it's coming from us, but we provide addresses that you can independently track them on the blockchain itself. So from the first day we operate, we start to be that way already. And for me, because it started from the security background, the strong point about cryptography is it needs to be provable to any parties that participate in a transaction, doesn't have to be financial, including even just information exchange, it has to be provable. So we started with that premise from the first day when we launched in 2019. It was quite an uphill battle for us because it takes a lot more operational and a lot more engineering work to provide that. Whereas at that time, it was the start of DeFi and a lot of our competitors were just openly saying, we have like 20% yield, 100% yield, 200% yield in return. And there's no way of proving that. Whereas for us, because we have to prove everything, it's going to be hard for us to provide that kind of yield when you can't even explain how that yield is coming from, much less even having to prove that on a blockchain. But regardless, we started from day one and we have to be completely transparent. And around that time, a lot of the users in general in the market were just looking for the highest yield that they could get. Oh, this DeFi came around. It's like such an insane yield. If you're not doing it, you're missing out on something. So just hitting yield everywhere. And that came about two years back when this whole like three arrows and FTX incident happened. And then that's where users in general start to realize that transparency is actually very, very important. And you want to look for proof that a service that you're using is solvent and don't just trust them for that, but also verify yourself that it is solvent. So that's when the last two years, we have been gaining a lot more visibility, a lot more good word of mouth from our users as well, that 
cake groups product or bake especially is actually very trustworthy and allows you to check that the funds are there and it's all provable and solvent and that's actually to our advantage. Just a quick question on that. Yes. Because you're based in Singapore. Are you sort of regulated in terms of what you're doing? Transparency is one angle, but there's also regulation. So what sort of regime are you operating in in Singapore? And then, you know, we'd love to hear about the rest of the business. It's both yes and no. We are registered in Singapore. We have an HQ in Singapore. Most of our staff are in Singapore. So we are regulated that way in terms of the finance side. We stay on the right side of the law. We comply with what the authority requires in terms of having someone that governs us, what we do. For now, as much as we want to, as far as I know, there's no proper way or no path for us to be able to do that in Singapore because there's no framework around how to run a DeFi business in a way that's solvent. If there's such a framework, we'll be happy to get onto that, but there's no such framework that we can get on. So we can do what we do best, is just trying to provide all the transparency to our users and guiding them on how to ask the right questions in order to pick services that are solvent and are good for them. Yeah. I hope that answers this question. No, no, that's great. <laughs> so what about the other bits of the business as well? Yep. So the second part of our vertical, which is known as Levain, I mean, we play around the whole cake theme. <laughs> You're making me feel hungry. So I guess that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so Levain started with the whole premise that blockchain is designed to be very retail-friendly from day one. When Satoshi invented Bitcoin, when Ethereum came around, all of that is designed to be very retail-friendly. Retail-friendly means that an address is controlled by a private key, and if you have an organization that needs to have a shared trust on a fund, it makes it hard to operate that way because, yeah, all of this boils down to having to trust one person in the organization to do something, and that's not good. So over time, we've seen some innovation happening around the custody space where addresses can now be split into a multi-signatory address or even MPC, where in order for ways to store crypto for an organization can have a policy around it, like three out of five to sign something like that on the, to make it more institutional friendly. But the thing about that is that the solutions out there are very focused on custody and it neglects the part where blockchain and crypto is beyond just custody. It's all about usability as well. So you need to be able to connect to other DeFi protocols. You need to be able to like do liquidity mining, you need to be able to do staking, you need to be able to do like borrowing and lending and all these things. And the fact that you use a institutional wallet actually makes it hard for you to participate in all these things and you're missing out a large chunk of a potential for your business if you have crypto on your balance sheet. So Levain is set out to solve that by making it work for companies where you want to be able to manage crypto in a compliant and good way and sound way and not missing out on all these potential DeFi services that you can potentially use. So we focus a lot on custody and a lot also on usability. And that's the premise of the whole business for Levain. And the other two parts, I think I can a little bit be more brief. Whisk Ventures, it's where a VC arm, where we invest in businesses that fulfill our 
mission statement to advance blockchain in general, to make it more usable and more friendly for humanity. And one of the portfolio companies that we invested in is called Oddsar, where the company's goal is to create a trustless decentralized exchange for ordinals. I mean, that's a term that I, yeah. if you're in the space, you've heard about it a lot. Yeah, so what ordinals, the hell is that? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a great question. So as of the last, I would say from around January this year, this kind of resurgence of utility of Bitcoin or even Bitcoin blockchain with Ordinals. So Ordinals is a scheme where you can store information or files on the Bitcoin blockchain itself and you can trade it for something. So it's kind of like NFT for Bitcoin, but the difference between NFT on Ethereum and Ordinals for Bitcoin is that NFT is basically just a link to an external file that could be stored on a server somewhere, on IPFS, using all these terms, right? It's just basically stored externally. Whereas on, on a Bitcoin side, it's stored actually on the blockchain itself. And there's a lot of opportunity on the Bitcoin side because for the first time, we're seeing a lot more hype and a lot more use case that's interest on the Bitcoin side again, that a lot more developers are coming back into Bitcoin to build on it now. For us, we invest in the odds are because odds are is playing a good role, a front-facing role in trying to make Ordinals trading decentralized and also at the same time trying to create tools around making it easy for developers to build for Bitcoin. One of the things about Bitcoin is it's predominantly seen just as a exchange of value. But when you can attach a file to it, it gives it much more utility. And it's almost like, well, am I using this now for money or am I using this now to trade something else of value? which could be, as you say, like an image or another file. What are the use cases really for this? Now, that's a really great question. You're 100% right, Damesh, that Bitcoin has been, for the last 10 years or so, been seen as the store of value. There's very little utility on the blockchain itself, except as a digital goal. And we have seen a couple of attempts at trying to introduce more utility on the Bitcoin side for the last 10 years. But none of them, as far as I know, took off as much as Ordinals have, especially this year. For me, I know it's very hypey right now. I don't know if it's the thing that will last for many years to come. But what I do see is that a lot of developers now are starting to have a lot of interest in building for Bitcoin again. And for me, I think that that's the start of having more utility over Bitcoin, can all this store of digital gold, can we use it for something more? Like, can it be used for trading of like digital assets or can it be used for, I don't know, even smart contracts in the space? And if you compare the functionality of Bitcoin over Ethereum, Ethereum is way more than Bitcoin. But if you compare the stability and the hash rate, you can imply it as a security of a blockchain. That's huge difference from Bitcoin over Ethereum. So there's a lot of merit in building on Bitcoin if you want to capitalize on all these things, security, stability, and harder for any large and need to alter anything. That difference is at the cost of, you know, performance. But I mean, I find that interesting. So is that a new development on top of Bitcoin or was it already in the capability of Bitcoin from the outset almost? The poor Bitcoin blockchain now yeah, it's almost entirely filled up by ordinals now. Like the actual transaction of Bitcoin is taken out like less than 10% of the block space right now. And every single block has been full from, I think, six months back wow. because of ordinals. 
Yeah. There's a fight now for the very limited space on the Bitcoin blockchain to store all these digital assets and the fees has gone up. So in a way, I mean, there's certain debate by Bitcoin. Is it good or bad for the Bitcoin blockchain? But also the fact that for the first time now, we see a lot more utility around Bitcoin. Secondly, it's all for miners. Now there's a real fee that's actually being paid by people using the blockchain rather than inflation of the supply. Because if you mine something, what Bitcoin blockchain actually does is creating Bitcoin out of thin air. That's like inflation. And we know the last two years, inflation is not good because that's why interest has been going up because we need to get back all this inflated money supply. So the same thing for blockchain. The last 10 years, we've seen Bitcoin going up just solely because of the way that Bitcoin was used because of just that, like the fees that actual user pays are so little, the actual fees that miners get are all because Bitcoin were created out of thin air. And that is probably not sustainable. In the long run, we kind of know that. So now with the utility, we do see now that the fees are actually being paid more than the inflation itself. And over time, because of the halving, we will see inflation going lower and lower. And with the increased fees, actually, it's a good progress that we do see utility actually paying the miners now for doing their work rather than inflated supply. Maybe an unfair question because it's about the future and so that I'm prepared to sell everything. What do you think might be cause the next winter after this one? To be honest, I have no idea. But I do know that once you build something, I mean, just like the movie Oppenheimer, you build something, there's good use of that and there will be bad use of that as well. So with all this innovation that comes up, it's all built for good reasons and all knows and all of that are built for good reasons. Then once it gets up the peak again, we're going to see a lot more greedy people coming around and launch projects because they want to get rich quick and then just basically mistreat the investors and mistreat whatever that joins the wagon and then you're going to see another crypto winter. So, yeah, I, once you see that happening, I think that's probably a sign where the next one's coming. Yeah, I mean, Dan, we've seen those bubbles so many times. I guess LinkedIn's becoming a bellwether yeah. for everything, isn't it? See everyone boasting about ordinals and having ordinals experts and all the other bits and pieces. You'll know that there's going to be a boom around that. You know, I mean, I'm just using that as an example. Actually, you talk about bad people. One of the things that I think has driven the crypto winter is some bad people, and we know who they are, which I think has created a lot of suspicion and a lot of mistrust. And there's a lot of damage that needs repairing, you know, equally. I know people's memories are pretty short, to be honest with you. So as soon as people see opportunities to make a fast buck, then things will change. But it sounds like, from your point of view, by being transparent from the get-go, that's helped alleviate people's suspicions. And it sounds like you've got a higher purpose calling around, you know, making this something that's good for humanity. I mean, I'm very struck by similarities to the way WorldCoin's positioning itself in terms of, you know, their tools for humanity and all the other bits and pieces. But yeah, what does making this good for humanity mean for you? I think it's meant in many different ways. Mission, I think, speaks a lot to me as well. I've been into cybersecurity for a long time. And my interest in that, I mean, it's a tool where you can both do good and do bad on. Like if you have all this knowledge of cybersecurity, you can do a lot of bad things around that. But for me, my interest in cybersecurity is all about trying to prevent the bad actors from doing bad things to good people. And that's where I came around from 
15, 20 years back, that's always been my mission or personal one. And everything that I've been working on is always towards that and contributing to open source as well, trying to build tools around it. Those are not driven by commercial needs or anything like that. It's trying to make it so that we can have more better ecosystem where people can build things around and help support each other. And overall, I know as humanity, we can all gain from each other by having this contribution that we share openly. And for me, I really like the open source movement and I see that's a good thing overall. So <laughs> I kind of sidetrack a bit, I, but I hope that answers the question. Right. Yeah. One final question. All of this, and because you're the cryptography person, I read recently that Google made a change to its browser to kind of handle in the future quantum computing. Because obviously, you know, with quantum computers, the current levels of cryptography can easily be broken, right? Is this something that will be an issue in Web3 technology as well? And if so, then is that something that you're looking at as well? Personally, I have not spent enough time looking to that, but I have been following some of that development and reading up some of those as well. And from my view, will quantum computing eventually affect the topography that we have today? The answer is yes. When? We don't know. And will it affect cryptocurrency or blockchain in general if we don't change? Obviously, yes. But there have been preparation for the major blockchains, especially Bitcoin and Ethereum, where a couple of researchers has been preparing to move the foundational cryptography layer of Bitcoin and Ethereum into quantum-proof cryptography. I think now it's a debate on which one should we choose and which one should we settle on. I think for now, that part is still unclear. So I just hope, keeping my fingers crossed, that before that time comes when quantum computing caught up to what we have today, the blockchain will have switched to a quantum-safe cryptography. Yeah, so we can't switch too early. So if we do that too early, then the whole thing becomes very inefficient because a lot more computer resources have to do. Yeah. So it's find the right time to switch before quantum technology catches up. That's that's the tricky part. But overall, I think there are smart people that's looking into that. Yeah, I think that was yes. cool. Yeah. That's a really good answer. Thank you. So I have one final question, and please be at liberty to not answer it. And it's only because Dom and I met him. Is Craig right, Satoshi? <laughs> 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 I know if, for anyone who's following this development, you would have a strong confidence to say that he's not, because there's a very simple <laughs> way to prove that. You just have to sign it with the early transaction. Yeah, exactly. And the one thing Craig Wright did was to trick the media by signing an already exposed string that Satoshi has pre-signed and he just claimed that he signed that. If if she refused to sign, just refuse to sign. If you try to dupe people into saying that you signed a new one and then yet it's come to be an old string, that was not good. So it's a higher confidence that he's not it than he's him. So that's my view. Yeah. Thank you. You've <laughs> broken my heart now because I thought we had. Uh, Funny enough, there is actually a developer in Cake Group, that's currently being named in Craig Wright's lawsuit. Yeah, because he contributed on the early version of Bitcoin and his name was there as a contributor. So Craig Wright was suing everyone wow. who the Bitcoin blockchain for suing his IP and his name was there. He's in, and he, he's actually in the UK. He has to defend that. <laughs> so we are wow. kind of assisting him as well. Wow. Yeah. 
<laughs> wow, that's amazing. Amazing. That sounds like another podcast yeah. to have, you know. Thank you so much, Yuzen. Yep. Fantastic. You have a fantastic CV. I mean, you must be in heavy demand, but what you're doing with the K Group sounds really interesting as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a real, really good conversation. I really love how you've taken the proposition, really thought about how to turn it into a really fruitful way of operating. I love the branding as well. I love what you've done there. I think it's fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. That was more than a slice of cake. It felt like a whole big fat chocolate cake. So thank you. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.